Good morning, guys. Hey, I want to tell you all about a, a uh, Christmas tradition. Since 1947, Oslo, Norway has sent London, England a Christmas tree every year to say thank you for your help during World War II. And so for many people that live in London, this is like a big part of their Christmas season. Uh, one of their big traditions for many, it's the thing that they look forward to the most is going to Trafalgar Square and seeing the unveiling of this big, beautiful tree from Norway every year. And uh, this year when they unveiled it, it looked like it was dead. And uh, so they, they had a reporter there and they were asking people what they thought and they were so disappointed because this was like a, a highlight of their Christmas season. They've been waiting for this. Some people said it looked mangy. Some people said it looked like it was losing hair. Uh, they said it was sad. And one person, uh, an older gentleman who's particularly upset said, quote, it's dead. It's a present from Norway, and it's dead. <laughs> and he walked away. <laughs> so whatever you're waiting for this Christmas, um, don't get your hopes up. No, I'm just kidding. No, why did I tell that story? I don't know. It's Advent season. We're waiting. Everybody's waiting for something. Uh, if you're new to church or the Christian faith, uh, this season that we are in, waiting for Christmas Day to come, is the season of Advent. That word is from the Latin word that means coming. We're waiting for the coming of Jesus. We're actually waiting for both. Uh, the first coming of Jesus, we celebrate on Christmas that Jesus was born in flesh, born as a baby, uh, to come and save us from our sin. And we as Christians are people who are always in Advent. We are always waiting for the second coming of Christ, for Jesus, the, the conquering king, to come and to return and to make all things new and to keep and fulfill all of God's promises to us to the fullest. And something about Advent season that I think is particularly beautiful is it, it can be easy for people to think of Christians as people who like to live in fairy tale land and, and not be in touch with reality. And uh, the beautiful thing about the, the Christmas story and the way that God chose to come to us was that he put on skin, he came into our lives, he identified with us in a very intimate way. And the whole point of him coming is to put things right because he knows that they're not right. So whatever suffering that we are experiencing, whatever darkness that we are experiencing, uh, we don't have to hide or pretend like that that's not true. God is inviting us through this Advent season and through the Christmas story to come to him as we are totally honest about where we are and how we feel and the questions we have and the fears we have and the doubts we have. And he said, yeah, Come and bring that stuff to me because I came to make all things new. I came because that's true and I came to make everything right. So um, as we celebrate this year, uh, y'all are a, a week behind the rest of Midtown uh, because you had the gift of, of Kirk coming last week. Um, so it was worth it. But we are in uh, this Advent series called The Women of Advent. And so in Matthew's gospel, there is a royal lineage. That was a, a thing is that when you had a king uh, you talked about their lineage to prove that they were a king. And so Jesus, the king, has a lineage in Matthew, but it's an interesting lineage because one, um, it mentions women. That was not usual. Two, the women that are mentioned are not Jewish, some of them. And we know their stories and most of them have checkered pasts. And so uh, it's a curious thing to ask, why did Matthew include these women in the genealogy of Jesus? And again, it's this deep encouragement that no matter 
how broken things are, um, his love is more powerful still. So as we, uh, as we celebrate this Advent season, um, today we're gonna look at one of the women in Jesus's lineage, um, and her name is Rahab, and so Michael Gilbert's gonna come read. I'm gonna hand you this mic. And if you wanna follow along, it's Joshua 2, 1 through 19. All right. So then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So that they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent the message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come in to spy out the whole land. But the women had taken... But the women had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that led to the, the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all, of, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon, Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above, it, above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. So she let she left them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, Go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, This oath you made us, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless... When we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers, and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in this house with you, their blood will be on your head, on our head, if, they lay, if a hand is laid on them. Perfect. Done? All right. Done. <laughs> you want to read some more? Hey, I'm going to pray for us. Father, uh, we come to you this morning, and we are hungry for you, we, uh, whether we know it or not. Lord, we need you to show up. We need you to stir our hearts and stir our minds and our, um, just help us to be really honest about where we are and what we need, and then come and meet that need, Lord. You, you promised to 
to meet us where we are, uh, that your word never returns void, that you will not leave us unchanged. And so we ask that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're going to walk through this story. And I've kind of divvied it into three chapters here. Uh, so the, the first is what I'm going to call the gift of being an outsider. The gift of being an outsider. And then uh, the second is a confession of faith. And then the third is a better sign. So we start here at the beginning. Um, just so you know, God had promised his people many years ago that they were going to come and this land of Canaan was going to belong to them. That's called the promised land. And so they became slaves in Egypt. And God said, I'm going to bring you out of slavery. I'm going to bring you to the promised land. It's going to be yours. And so he did. He made a way brought them out of Egypt, and then they traveled, and now the Israelites, God's people, are on the cusp of entering the Promised Land. They're just on the other side of the Jordan River, and so Joshua, who's the commander of the army, the leader of the people, he sends these two spies, these two young men, to go on a reconnaissance mission and check out the land, especially the city of Jericho, and so they do. And so these two young men, uh, find their way into a brothel, which is for strategic purposes only. <laughs> Nervous laughter. They, uh, no, these two young men, it, it probably was strategic. This place was, Rahab was a prostitute, but the, the place was probably not a brothel. It was probably more like, think like a saloon in the Old West where ne'er-do-wells and travelers and foreigners congregate. And so this was a place where they could probably they felt like they would be safe to not stick out like a sore thumb and maybe be a, a base from which they could try to gather some information. Uh, the problem was they're not very good spies because we learn immediately they're discovered and the king is reported that they're, that they're there. And so all I could think about this week was these guys sitting there like, hey, us uh, Jericho guys, you know, like we're, remember we grew up here and like remember we played ball down the street and listen to the rock and roll music us guys were always here not from somewhere else and the people are like uh, okay yeah you're not from here so they went and told the king and the king sends men and he's these men are assuming that Rahab is her allegiance is with the king and so they come to her and they say hey we know these guys are here and uh, we need you to to bring them out and she says hey, uh, these men were here. I'm just a simple prostitute. I didn't know that they were Israelites, um, but I, they left. And they left right before the gate closed. And if you hurry, you can catch them. And so she, she lies because she's actually hidden the men on her roof. Um, and so you think about what's going on here. Rahab is a prostitute, okay? Rahab is living in the city wall, which... Is, is not prime real estate if you think about where you'd want to live in a city. Um, she, she's an outsider. And so when these, when these men come uh, from the king, she is, she's not on the inside of the, the Jericho elite. And so she's got this separation here that actually ends up being a huge blessing for her. Um, C.S. Lewis has this essay called The Inner Ring. If you haven't read it, it's a good read. You can probably say that about anything that that man wrote. But uh, The Inner Ring, it's this idea that so much of what we are always striving for in our lives, so much of what directs our life 
is wanting to be insiders. It's this idea of I always want to be, okay, I'm outside, I want to be inside, and once I get inside there, there's, oh, actually, it turns out there's an even more exclusive ring, and I want to get inside there, and then more and more, and it just goes and goes and goes, and this can be the thing that directs our entire lives and, and controls uh, all that we think about and, and all that we aim for and, and, and what we design our lives around. And so he's got this line from this essay that says, as long as you are governed by that desire to be on the inside, you will never get what you want. You are trying to peel an onion, and if you succeed, you will find that there's nothing left. So I want us to think about this idea that maybe Rahab's life up to this point was a blessing. Could it be that God had, uh, in his purposes, as he is drawing this woman to himself, as he is saving her for himself and drawing her into his people, that it was actually a blessing that she was an outsider? Can you imagine how someone would have responded who was on the inner elite circle of the king of Jericho? Probably would have gone very differently. But the distance that she had, the fact that all of her hopes and dreams weren't being met in the city of Jericho actually freed her up to give her some sobriety to see that this kingdom was not going to fulfill all of her deepest desires and longings, gave her sobriety to see that this God who was coming with his people, they're actually going to conquer us, and that's who I'm afraid of? So can you and I get to a place, do we have that ability to see the places in which we are being stopped from becoming insiders that we so badly want to be and actually thank God for that? Thank you that you're saving me from this ladder climbing, that every single day, every single thing that I think about is how do I get one step up on this ladder? Thank you for knocking me off the ladder so I don't have to be enslaved to that anymore. And we can ask the flip question, it's a a little scarier maybe to ask, if you're somebody who is an insider and you're just slicing through those onion layers, Could you imagine that maybe that's actually not a blessing? That maybe you want distance from God because you want to pursue this and he's actually giving you what you want? He's giving you the distance from him that you're asking for? This woman, uh, you could look at her life and, and think that there's not a lot of evidence that God loved her, right? And then we see, because we have the the benefit of hindsight and knowing the end of the story, that he actually loved her very much. He never forgot about her. He never didn't know who she was. He always, from the beginning of time, knew exactly who Rahab was and called her daughter. So no matter where we are, no matter how how much of an outsider we feel like, um, that might actually be a good thing. So we got this, this idea that this, this woman who's an outsider, and now moving to the second chapter of the story, this uh, confession of faith. So after these, these men from the king leave, she goes up to the roof where she's hidden the spies, and she's basically there to, to work out her salvation. She's there and she says, hey, look, I hid you from the king's men, and here's why. Here's what she tells them. 
I know the Lord has given the land to you. The fear of you has fallen on us. All the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Let me ask you a question. How does she know? How does she know at that point? The Israelites had not even crossed into the land. How did she know that the Lord had given them the land? Well, she says, we have heard how the Lord had dried up the Red Sea, saved you from Egypt, and we heard what he did to the kings that tried to stand in your way as you were making your way from Egypt to here, how you were able to utterly destroy them. And that word has come to us. And so she's, she, her faith has a basis. She's hearing these true events, and she is deciding for herself that this God is God. This is this is who is to be feared. And so she takes this faith um, that she has, and in her, her proclamation of this faith, she's actually confirming a prophecy that God made 40 years before. As he was bringing his people out of Egypt through the Red Sea, he parted the Red Sea, they walked through on dry ground. He said that as you go, the people of Canaan's hearts will melt before you. And that's exactly what she says here. She's like, everybody's hearts have melted. Everybody is terrified. And so now, as we're standing here on the cusp of God's people coming into this place and taking over, she makes this, this profession of faith in verse 11. The Lord your God is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. This is coming from her heart. This is what she believes to be true. The Lord your God is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. I have seen, I have heard. I don't know everything, but it's enough for me to say that that is the truth. And that confession of faith changes her entire life. It changes her allegiances. It changes her fears. It changes where she looks for salvation. Because think about that. Two spies, two young dudes, and a, a king and his men and his army are coming to her and saying, give us the spies. And she's like, no way. This is a sinking ship. That ship that's coming, I'm getting on that ship. There's no way I'm turning those spies into you because I'm more afraid of who's coming than I am of who's here. And it changes everything for her. Um, and... <laughs> This thing called Art Basel is like this art exhibition in Miami. Has anybody heard of this? Yeah, some. I'd never heard of it until this week. Uh, there's a story that there was an artist named Maurizio Catalan, and that he contributed three pieces to this art uh, show slash sale, and um, they were all entitled The Comedian, and it was literally a banana duct tape to the wall. And all three of his pieces sold for somewhere between $120,000 and $150,000. Why do I tell you that story? Because it's interesting. <laughs> I tell you that story because if you believe that that duct tape banana is fine art, then you will show it by shelling out $150,000 for it. Like what you and I believe changes how we live. That's what it means to actually believe something. And so the question for us, the two, the two peoples who are in this room this morning, for those of us who are in Christ, does that confession 
that the Lord, our God, is the God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath, does that confession change our lives? Does my life, does your life look different at all from the men and women around us who don't believe that there is a God in heaven at all? And I'm not asking you this question to to shame you or guilt you into revving up your engine and believing harder because you really can't do that. I'm asking you this question because it really matters. And if, if you find yourself like I do from time to time, in, in a place where I'm realizing I'm not actually believing this. I'm not actually living out of this because look at the decisions I'm making. Look at what I value. Look at what I talk about. Look at what I'm afraid of. Look at how, how I'm all of my life. I don't believe that this is true. Run to your heavenly father and ask him to give you a fresh belief. Open my eyes again, melt my heart again to see and understand and believe that this is true and let that change everything about my life. And for those of us in the room who are not in Christ, if this is new to you and you're checking this out and and Jesus, uh, you're not quite sure who he is, um, take heed from this story that Rahab, she had a decision to make. Everybody in Jericho was afraid of the army that was coming. So what are, you, what are you gonna do with that fear? She made a decision that she was gonna try to get in. I, I want to get off of this boat and get onto that boat. It, it redirected her entire life. And so the challenge here is it's so easy to walk through life feeling like we're gonna be here forever. And feeling like, oh, I think I know what I believe about God. It's kind of these hodgepodge, different thoughts melded together from myself and things I've heard other people say. And I would really challenge you, and I think this text challenges you to um, be wise, knowing that that's what you think about God is the most important thing that you can think. It will change the course of your life. And so sit down and really work that out. What do I believe about God? And do those thoughts actually fit together? Is there a God? If not, then how does this other thing make sense? If there is, then what would he be like? And how would he communicate? Because really, a lot of times what happens when we have these these beliefs about God that we make up or we put together for ourselves is just this really pitiful attempt to try to put up a little wall there because we're afraid of God. Because we think somewhere in the back of our mind, we really know that he does exist. And if he does, then it's hard to believe that he could love me because I know the kind of person I am. Um, But there's good news. There's good news. But you gotta get to this place where you're, you're, you're dealing in reality. And so this confession of faith um, who is God? It means everything. And now we find Rahab looking for a better sign. Um, starting in verse 12 here, after her confession of faith, she, uh, she's talking to these men and she says, I want you to promise that you're gonna take care of us, my family and I. 
that when you come in and you conquer this land, that you will spare us. And they said, yeah, sure. And she's like, okay, I'm thinking about in the heat of battle, I don't want these guys to say, all right, now which house was that prostitute in that we were going to save? I can't remember, man. I think it's this one. Uh, No, this is too big of a deal to be leaving up to chance. Like, I want a sure physical sign that you are going to make sure that we are okay. And so what she ends up doing is she lets them down by a rope from her window out the outside of the, the wall to run away. And so they said, you put that scarlet colored rope in your window, and that's how we'll know which house is yours, and we will save you but you have to keep everyone in this house. You have to put that cord out. Um, but if you do this and you're harmed, then your blood will be on our heads because we're making this promise to you. And so we can read this story and we can think, hey, that's a pretty good sign, right? It's, a, it's this picture that they give her, um, this, this rope. We're gonna put the rope up. Everybody can see the rope. But stop and think for a minute. These two spies, they weren't in charge right? Like they could get back to the camp and say, hey, this woman really helped us out. So we're going to help her family out. And Joshua could say, yeah, we're actually not going to do that. We're going to kill everybody. Um, So they didn't have ultimate authority. And then think about what if the rope fell down? What if people didn't see the rope? What if some of the guys that were attacking that part of the city didn't get the memo about the rope? Like there's all sorts of holes in this. Uh, where she should be afraid that this might not actually work out the way that I wanted it to and hoped that it would. And so you get this picture of Rahab and her family huddled together in this house, waiting on this army to come, looking at that rope, just thinking, man, I really hope this works. I really hope this works. I'm clinging to the only thing that I know that I can cling on to. And I'm not even sure that that's going to be enough. So that's, that's where we, we find her um, as she is awaiting Joshua and his men to come into the city. But I want you to think about this. You and I now have a, a superior sign that we're going to be okay when the conquering king comes. Because we believe that the same Jesus who came as a baby to be born in a manger, to take our our sin upon himself and and for that sin to be dealt with and, and judged and condemned on the cross so that we could have life. That same Jesus was raised from the dead and he is now king eternal and he says that he is gonna come back. He's gonna return He's already seated on the throne. He is going to return and he's going to make all things new. And all of God's promises to his people are going to be fully realized when he returns. And so in a very real way, we find ourselves in a similar place as Rahab. Is that we know that there is a conquering king who is coming. But here's the beautiful thing. This conquering king is is a, a God who conquers with love. Listen to this. We don't have to put out a rope. We don't have to to do any certain thing. Um, God's really clear in his word. He says, you you can't do anything except bring your sin to the table. Um, I do all the saving. 
And I called my people, and it says, if you just believe, if you just believe on Jesus Christ, that you and your household will be saved. And so we have this God who has given us uh, his word. He's given us his word. He is the God of all authority. Unlike these two spies, he's the God of heaven and earth. He has all authority. And he has given his word and said that if you believe, you will be saved. And because he is good and he is perfect, he never changes. No one can change him and he never changes. So you can take that to the bank and he is so good that he has written his word down to have it preserved for us so that we can have it for all time, that we can always go back to it and see his promises and see who he is. That just like Rahab, we don't deserve saving. We're outsiders, we're foreigners, full of sin. But God said, I know. That's why I came. I came, I came to take your sin upon me because I, I want to call you to myself as sons and daughters to have you and I in this eternal relationship forever. And so as, as she has this word from the spies, we have the word of the Lord. And she's looking for a sign. It's the scarlet rope. We have the sign of this King Jesus who came in the flesh, who was nailed up on a cross publicly for all to see. Everyone in the Roman Empire knew that this happened. And then we have another sign. We have a sign that when all of this was finished and he was put in a tomb, that the tomb is empty. That he was risen from the dead. So we know that God has accepted his sacrifice. We know that everything that had to be done for us to be united with God forever is finished. Listen to this. This is what Paul says in Ephesians. He says, you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from God and from the people of God, strangers without hope, without God. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That everything that has been required for you and I to be made right with God, for us to not have to be afraid of God anymore, has been taken care of. So now we can run to him as sons and daughters. He's adopted us. It's easy sometimes to believe that um, Jesus is kind of standing in the gap, uh, that God's still angry with us, but Jesus is kind of there to like mediate in between. But listen to this, Romans 8.32 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Y'all, it's this, it's this reality that God is not an enemy. And he doesn't look at us as enemies. He looks at us as beloved sons and daughters because of the finished work of Christ. That's why Christmas is such a big deal. That's why we celebrate Jesus' coming. That's why the, the church is, is so psyched about Christmas and Easter. It's because we need this. Um, our greatest need is, is none other than uh, a savior. We need a savior for our sin. And God is so kind. This king is so kind that, you know, as these spies said, if anything happens to you, then your blood will be upon our heads. Jesus is saying, your blood, if you are in me, if you believe in me, your blood is already on my head. It's my blood shed in your place. 
And so the invitation this Advent season is that just as Rahab was waiting for this king to come and for her to be conquered, the, inv- the question is, is how will we be conquered? Because we will be conquered. But the invitation is that this king is coming and conquering in love. And he's saying, look at me. Look at what I've done. Look at the kind of king that I am. I've laid my life down. I've used my power to inflict judgment on myself so that you could have life. That's who we're waiting for this Advent season. That's who we need to show up. That's who will show up and make all things new. And that's who shows up now even in between the two comings to renew our hearts, to give us new life. And so we have a lot to celebrate this season, no matter what our, no matter what our lives are looking like right now. There's always much to celebrate because the thing we most desperately need, um, it is finished. And what we most desperately long for, whether we know it or not, is this deep, intimate relationship with the God who made us. Um, it is ours in Christ. And he says, come and be, be conquered by me in love. Come and enjoy the fellowship that you were made for. I'm gonna pray for us. Father, we, uh, we thank you for not leaving us alone, for not leaving us without help. Lord, for your mercy, for your grace, your love to come and and humble yourself a mighty king made a a a small baby born into poverty identifying with us in our weakness taking our sin so that we could have life and coming and in power to put everything right Lord, we thank you that that's true i pray for us this christmas season Um, that you would strengthen our faith. Lord, that these things would become more true to us and it would change how we live and how we think. Lord, as we we sing, uh, use these songs to strengthen us and encourage us and lead us to a, uh, just a a more true reality that would really... um, (coughs) change how we think about you, change how we live. And Lord, I ask that you just bring peace and joy and love uh, to your people and to this world, this season, in Jesus' name, amen.